Let's, let's pray and dive into the word together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to get into the scriptures, to learn to love you more, and to continue to be challenged to live out your word in our lives. And we pray that that would lead to exactly what we're speaking of today, of sharing our faith with those around us. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> you know, I, I find them an interesting group of people. They're always around me. They're pretty much always around all of us in some way or another. They have their own TV shows. They have their own radio programs. And they like to to promote their viewpoints of their particular group everywhere that you go. You'll find them at the mall. They even sometimes have their own shops. You'll find them at your workplace with their little shrines and trinkets. They'll wear their special made t-shirts. They'll even run around promoting this stuff and inviting you to their various things that they do. And if you ever go, you'll you'll be amazed amazed at their various food rituals and strange ways they dress every Sunday morning or some Sunday mornings and some Sunday evenings and occasionally in the midweek. And, they, and these people just, they get into it. They, they yell and scream. They stand and sit at different times. And it's really kind of interesting to watch them, especially as you, you begin to get to know them a little bit more. They have their own small groups that they gather and they talk about numbers and these names of people I've never even heard of. And you're like, what is going on with these people? They check their apps regularly. In fact, they have an app that's like devoted to their one big thing and all the critiques from one group to the other. They, they register those and they get all into that stuff. And, you know, I've been to some of their gatherings and they're, they're interesting. You've probably been invited and been to some of their gatherings too and you didn't know it. It's like, what religion is this, Greg? It's not. It's football fans. <laughs> and I'm not knocking football fans. I'm just telling you, isn't it interesting how, how when you love something and you're really into it, you live in it a lot, you can't help but share it. It's not just football. Man, that happens with, that happens with bands. I and mean, how many people were into a certain band and they talk about that band and they dress like that band and they promote that band and they share that band. You know, it happens with, our, with ideas of education. It happens with politics. It happens with all kinds of various viewpoints that we can enter into in other sports, all that stuff. And the bottom line is it has nothing to do with football players in general, has everything to do with human beings. I find it interesting that we're very comfortable sharing our loves and sharing the things we're into wherever we go and whatever we do. But when it comes to you as a Christian sharing your faith, you feel like that's weird. When it comes to you sharing what, what you love and what you're into when it comes to your religious viewpoints or when it comes to your love and faith in Christ, a lot of us feel like we are not allowed to do that. But man, we share a lot of weird stuff with each other. I mean, when's the last time you heard somebody promote their video game from your kids or what? Kids are into this. Every age group does this. And it doesn't matter. And I really want to encourage you guys that as Olive Branch, we've been talking about this new mission statement that we've been looking at. Up here it is that uh, we love, live, and share Christ wherever we go. And today I want to talk about sharing Christ. And I want to talk about the fact that it's a natural, normal thing that when you love Christ, when you live for him and you're devoted to him, it will be a normal thing for you to begin to share Christ. And it doesn't have to be awkward. It doesn't have to be weird. But it's something that you and I can naturally engage in. And it ought to be true of us as Christians. And so as we talk about this, sharing Christ wherever we go, I want to talk about how it's going to progress and where it begins. But really, I don't want you to think of sharing all by itself. In the last couple weeks, we kind of dove into the idea of loving Christ. And we said, to love Christ is where it begins. 
If you love Christ, then it will birth living for Christ. If you just live for Jesus, but you don't have a love for him, you're going to do religion. You're going to be about rules, you're going to be about do's and don'ts, but you're not going to be after Christ for who he is. And if you share Jesus without loving him, it's going to be like a bad sales job. You're going to walk around sneezing Jesus all over people. It's Jesus, and it's, people don't like that. It's yucky. And so they back away. And so we want to make sure that we love Christ. We encourage you guys, increase your time with him. Like by 10 minutes or get into a small group where you get accountability and develop. Maybe remember what God taught you and challenged you in the, un, uh, in the unsettled life. And go back to that and re-up and keep working through that. We also then talked about living for Christ. That that love for Christ builds into living for Christ. And that living for Christ is really about us living out his gospel sacrificially. Giving ourselves away. And we challenge ourselves to go from going to church to being the church, to step up and step in into some way. In fact, again, we, you see them out in, the, out in the foyer out there. We have the bulletin board up with the various jobs for this fit team, which is trying to fill this gap between people who, who want to serve and people who need people to serve and pulling those together by having that one location. But we need these leaders to step up into these positions. And so maybe even praying about that and looking into that, we invite you to please go out, grab a card, sign it, drop it in the button that fits with that group. And that's really what we're encouraging in this area in the next six months is really to see that gap so that people can move from just going to church to really being the church. And that these things lead ultimately to sharing Christ. That we don't just love and we don't just live and we don't just share, but we love and live Christ as we share. And that's where I want to begin. That we really need to love and live as we share, or else it's really not going to look like we want it to. And this is found in actually the book of Luke chapter 10. So why don't we grab our Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 10. We're going to begin in verses 1, and we're going to go through verse 9 or nine this morning, and we're going to be looking at this section. <coughs> you don't have a Bible. Bibles are available under the seats. You're going to grab one of those. You'll find it on page 868 in, in the Bibles under your seats. And if you've read through the Gospels, you've probably encountered this before, but if you haven't read through Luke, kind of what's going on, is that Jesus has just been teaching his disciples how to really be followers of him. He's been healing people, and he's been feeding the poor. He's been challenging them. He's been preaching the gospel. And now he's trained them, kind of walking them through the process. And now he's going to send them out. He's already sent out the 12. Now he's going to send out 72 other disciples to begin this process of growing in acting out their faith. So verse 1 begins, And the Lord appointed 72 others, sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers, laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. And so I'm going to stop there because I want to point out a couple of things. Notice what Jesus tells them to do first. He leans in and he says, guys, you're going to go out here. We're going to send you out. But first, pray. Pray earnestly. This isn't just like, when you know, pray and ask God to do something, to move laborers out. The second thing he says is, is don't, just, don't just wait around. Go, go now and, and trust God. Yes, it's dangerous. Yes, it's risky. Yes, it's scary. But go trusting God. Don't get all prepared first. Just get moving. 
I find that interesting considering what we're talking about. That he starts with this conversation that we should love our love for Christ and our love for God should be central by first praying. That in fact, what I think he's saying is the, the love is the engine of their sharing. They're there praying over harvesters to go out. I mean, when's the last time in your quiet time you actually sat down and prayed for those around you that don't know Christ, that they would become part of the family, that they could know Jesus, that they could have eternal life, they could know the God who made them? When have we sat down? I mean, I get it. Some people, that you, you have those people around you and you're like, God, I wish they knew you. That's not the kind of prayer I'm talking about. I'm talking about the devoted kind where you're sitting and you're focused on these people, standing in between God and them and interceding on their behalf. And that's what Jesus is saying. Start with this idea of prayer and, and be with God in this. But next also, be someone who trusts God. Be somebody who trusts God is sending you, that God is using you. Don't wait for the perfect prepped moment. I know a lot of us are probably sitting around waiting for that friend or that family member or that coworker to walk up to you and say, what must I do to be saved? It's probably not going to happen. That, that, that event may never occur in your life. And Jesus says, you don't wait around for that. Don't bring a knapsack. Notice he said, don't, don't get your sandals. Don't get yourself all, all set up. Greet nobody on the road. Get moving. Stop waiting. This is not a time for you to just kind of go, um, I'll, I'll do it when Jesus tells me to. He's already told us, Go. And so there's this connection of loving and trusting God. It's dangerous. It's risky. You don't have to wait for everything to be right. Just get moving. God will show up. He'll act. He'll work with you. And it's this kind of love that is the engine that moves us in to evangelism. It's, the, it's that which pushes us forward into sharing with each other. And so we need to love Christ, but also it begins, he shows us, we need to live Christ as we go Continue on with me. He goes on to say, verse 5, Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you, heal the sick in it, and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. And right here, Jesus gives us some more little simple illustrations. Well, our love for God is supposed to connect us in to be the engine. He says, really, it's living for him that, care, that enables us to care for others. Notice what he says. He very clearly tells you to be a, somebody who brings peace. When you show up their house, speak peace to them. And you'll know if you're that kind of a person. If you show up at work and you show up to the party and everybody's like, oh, the Christian's here, you're probably not bringing peace. If we're, if we're only bringing law and rules and, wow, we are drinking that. No, no, no. We, we bring peace to the settings that we enter into. We bless people. Are you a blessing to your neighbors? Are you a blessing on your street? Or are you the annoying guy? Are you a blessing in your workplace? And this is the point. Jesus says, be a blessing. Be the one that when you step into the scenario, you, you bring this peace with you. 
And that peace, if it stays with them, that's great. In their terms, they're coming in, they're saying peace to these people. They're bringing a greeting, they're bringing peace. People go, go, oh, come on in. They receive them in, then they give them hospitality. But then notice something else that Jesus says. He doesn't just say, hey, give them peace and move on. He says, stay in that household. Look at verse seven. At the end of that verse, he says, do not go from house to house. Stay there. Why would he tell them not to jump from house to house to house? He says, stick there. I believe it's because he wanted these people, that one house, to see their life, to see how they lived. It's also so they wouldn't abuse other people and look like they were just getting food and money and stuff. But when you stay with one group of people long enough, they begin to see how you live. They begin to see who you live for. They begin to see what's involved in your life. I can remember when I worked for, when I didn't work in the church, uh, I was constantly involved in being the church. I was engaged in youth ministry. I was in a drama team. I was on the worship team and all this stuff. And so when I would get to work, um, I, I would have these opportunities to share Christ. I still share Christ here at this work, but Brent still won't receive Jesus. But the, um, he's already done that. The reality is that when you're there, they would ask me, what'd you do this weekend? I would be able to share with them. This is what I did this weekend. And it was usually about what I was doing at church. And so they knew I was a Christian. They understood where I stood. They knew I brought my Bible and would read it occasionally here and there. But they, I wasn't sneezing Jesus on them. I wasn't shoving anything around. But occasionally when they would come to a crisis, they would come talk to me. And for some reason, just living around them as they watched my attitude, my behaviors, they, they thought, hey, this is somebody I can talk to about religious things. It's not just true of me. It's true of many of you. My friend Junior was telling me about when he was a gearhead and working on cars and it was his job. He had a friend who he was working with. It was originally didn't know him that well, but as they worked for months together, he discovered, hey, this guy's a Jehovah's Witness. And, he, they, and this guy knew he was a Christian. And he would talk about life and talk about things. They rarely got into the religious conversation until one day about three months into, the, into their relationship, then man, while they're sitting there working on this car, leans over to him and says, hey man, you know I'm a Jehovah's Witness, don't you? How's that for an entrance? And, and of course, Junior's like, uh, yeah. He's like, so what do you think of, of, of us? And he's like, uh-huh, uh-huh, do I lie? No, I'm a Christian, I can't lie. So basically tells him, she says, I, think, I, I, kinda th- I, I believe that you guys are a cult or at least a different version of Christianity that doesn't believe in Jesus in the way that we do. You're trying to earn your faith and Jesus has paid it all already. So he gives us this quick synopsis of the gospel. And the guy's like, oh, okay, that's interesting. And he felt like the Lord told him, now ask him if he wants to receive me, if he wants to believe in me. And Junior said, I had this debate with God. No way, I'm not going to ask him that. We're working on a car. And so he listened to God. He turned to me, do you want to believe in Jesus now? Do you want him to pay for your sins now? And the guy says, yeah, yes, I do. And right there, he led him to Christ under the car. But it wasn't just the sharing, it was the buildup of everything else that Junior had done and the care that showed this man something's different. What's going on? See, that, that kind of thing leads me, when we start thinking of living, it, shares the, it shoves the content of the message. When you love, it drives you forward. When you live it, it fills in the message itself. And so what's interesting to me is that this is exactly what 1 Peter is saying. In 1 Peter chapter 3, he says, But in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord, 
Christ the Lord is holy. Set him apart. Make him the one that you love. Make him the one you're living for. Put him in that first place position, as we've been saying. When that's happened, always being prepared then to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that's in you. You do it with gentleness and respect. And so he tells them, listen, guys, this isn't a fight. This isn't sneezing Jesus. This is a gentle response, a conversation. But you need to be ready. Because when you sit in the same house long enough, when you stay with people long enough, they see who you are and they wonder. And when they start asking you questions, you need to be ready to give a response. Now, some of you guys are going like, I am not ready for that. Uh, They may ask me something I don't know. And so you avoid those conversations. Well, that's why Launchpad's happening in the service right now. So people who feel like they don't have a response, they don't know what they would do to navigate that, can have somewhere where they can begin to learn. Launchpad's not learning necessarily how to talk to an atheist. That's the tagline that sounds really intriguing to some people. To others of you, you're like, that does not sound interesting at all. Um, the reality is, it's teaching you how to have a conversation with people who disagree with you. Isn't that needed in our culture right now? And all this class does is teach you how to be civil in a dialogue with somebody who doesn't believe what you believe. And it's pretty amazing, some of the conversations that have come out. Invariably, of the 75 people who have taken this already, the the same response comes out. I remember uh, Linda has said, and she's a quiet lady, and she basically said, I had this conversation with one of my, uh, she was nervous about it, one of her family members. In the midst of that conversation, he wasn't so sure about it. At first, she was nervous, but you have to have a conversation by the end of the class. So she has this conversation. At the end of the conversation, he leans over and says, this was awesome. Can we do this again? Because they had never engaged this kind of dialogue. Brent spoke the same thing that happened with his atheist next door neighbor. We've heard it over and over and over and over again from people who have taken this. That people invariably just lean in and after you've learned how to do this, they go, this was awesome. Can we do this again? Because once you learn how to have a conversation, sharing Jesus is easy. Because it fits with who you are. It fits with who you love. And it becomes something that's normal and natural. Launchpad also helps you get away from a simple lie that a lot of us have been taught. That this, uh, this simple lie of like, yeah, live the gospel and sometimes use words. I get the sentiment of that, but the way we like to phrase it around here is no, live the gospel so you must use words. You see, you can live a life for Christ and you can look like you're loving Jesus and doing this great stuff, but as you do good works, as you go and heal and help people and care about people. The, the world has been trained that people are good. And they're not looking at you and say, you're just another good person just like them. Or you do something wrong, they're going to say, yeah, see, that Christianity is a bunch of hypocrisy. See, it takes words, no matter whether you're good or whether you make a mistake and you sin, to explain yourself. You have to explain, no, the good in me is coming from Christ. It doesn't come from me. And you have to explain what you're seeing when I make a mistake, when I mess up, when I sin, is the very reason I need Jesus. And you have to use words. Actions alone mean nothing without words and explanation. That's why Peter didn't just leave it at the beginning. He said you have to be prepared to make a defense. You have to be prepared for words. So live your life among them. Allow yourself to, to be seen and allow that, those good works to come out, but always be ready to use words. Always be prepared. So live for Christ, yes. Love Christ, yes. But you must share. It has to come out. And it has to be 
gun begin somewhere. And so it begins locally. It begins right where we are. We want to move locally. What we're, going to, what we're talking about now is to talk about the next few months and the next year. Here at Olive Branch, what we really want you to be able to learn how to do is move your, your neighbors to become friends and your friends to become family. What do we mean by family? To be brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't think it's a bad thing to want your friends to become truly family. Family you'll have for eternity. I think it's a good noble thing to desire your friends to become eternal family members with you. And so you want to see your neighbors become friends and move away from what often they are is strangers. And so we're called to begin this locally. We need to share this and begin sharing Christ locally. You're going to do it right where you are. In the book of Acts, chapter 1, Jesus is about to ascend into heaven. He's talking to the disciples, and they're like, when is the end times going to happen? He's like, we're not going to talk about that. Sounds like modern-day America and Christianity, because we're like, when's the end? When's the end? He's like, hold on, time out. There's a mission to do. And he tells them, the very next line, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea. What's interesting about this is these are Galilean boys. These are not kids from Jerusalem. This isn't their home he's telling them to start in. He's basically saying, start where you are. They're standing on a mountain just outside of Jerusalem. And he's like, you're going to start in Jerusalem and you go to Judea, all the surrounding area. Then you can go to Samaria next door and on. But start where you are. Start local. Some of us get so concerned about other localities, we forget that it's, it's our job to start locally, right where we are. And you're like, Greg, what do we do locally? Does it mean like we start a food bank and we got to get out there and do this? No, no, I think Jesus has, has shown us very clearly where that beginning point is. In a certain conversation, Jesus is confronted by a lawyer. And the lawyer asks him a simple question. He says, what, are the, what is the great commandment? And Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he says, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. How many, we've all heard this, haven't we? In the book of Luke, it's interesting because then the lawyer asks us, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus opens up into the story of the Good Samaritan. And so many of us have been raised now on that story. I and mean, we know the Good Samaritan story. And so a lot, there's a whole generation that's asked, who's my neighbor? And we go, it's the poor, it's the homeless, it is the refugees, it is the needy, it is the divorced, it's the hurting and those who are lying on the side of the road that need our help. It's our causes, that's why we get up and we help them. And that's good. But we forgot something along the way. Who's your neighbor? It's the guy living next door to you. It's the guy two doors down, the one across the street. These are your neighbors. And in an effort to beat causes, we forget about the person next door. And Jesus is very clear. He's not excluding your neighbor. Our neighbors are put near us. They're the closest to us. They shouldn't be strangers to us. We want the hospitality that... Many of you are giving here at church to be what's found on your streets. And so we really are talking about this idea of the being neighborly challenge where we really are saying, hey, befriend two neighbors each quarter. Let's stop having our neighbors be strangers. Let's start seeing our neighbors be our friends where we know their name. We know their kids. We know their grandkids. We're connecting with them because they're people, not Cars that drive in and disappear as the garage door closes or strange automatons who grab this thing called a trash can and walk it back inside. You know what I'm talking about. That's, that's how we live. We live on these streets and we don't know the people who are directly around us every single day. 
They're strangers. I find it fascinating that we really should start as friends because you're not going to engage in ever inviting people to church or inviting them to your home if they're not your friends. To give you a case in point, my my family, in an effort to try to connect with this being neighborly challenge back in December, on Christmas Eve, um, my kids had made all these cookies earlier that week, all these great sugar cookies, and they decorated like dripping and strange shapes and stuff because my six-year-old doesn't know how to use a cookie cutter, but it's just dripping and they put them all on these plates. And so we gathered together and we marched out the doors with a bunch of plates to go give them to our neighbors. We walk on, knock on doors, and invariably we're waking everybody up on Christmas Eve at their Christmas Eve nap time. And so we're just apologizing and we give them the cookies, we leave. And so the horde of Harris's watched across the street and our horde of Harris's are standing around this front door and we knock on it. This is my neighbors directly across the street and diagonal. And these are the neighbors who literally are the drive-in, disappear, automaton, take the trash can and go back inside. And you're like, hi! And there's like, oh, people. You know, that kind of, that kind of neighbor. <clears throat> you got one of those too. <laughs> and so I, they've been so nice. They've brought us cookies. They've brought us stuff. But, you know, it's never been a very long conversation. So we grab the cookies. We head over there. And I've got like, you know, I've got four kids. Me and my wife, we're just like, ha Three of them are boys, so it's crazy. And we're standing there and they're like, oh, come in. And we're like, come in. We, we know their families in there. We see their daughter and stuff roaming around in the back. We're like, they're about to have their Christmas Eve dinner. Come in. I'm like, okay. And so this horde of humanity comes standing into their foyer and we're standing there. The kids are like, I'm bored. The kid boys are like falling down on the ground. Ah, you know, 20 minutes we're talking to these people. And they're like, hey, this, uh, they call their daughter over. Come here, come here. Like, huh? They're like, oh, this is Pastor Greg. He goes, he, he's, he teaches over at Olive Branch. He went to Biola too. I'm like, we've never had a conversation. Are you stalking me? I'm not even on Facebook. How do you know this? My wife's like, you have a sticker on your car. And it's like, okay, fine. I get it. But that was weird. And for 20 minutes, we're like engaged with their learning how they got married and where their kids and all this stuff. And we're just like, oh yeah, cool. Here's some cookies. You know, so that's like, and, and what's so great, they were so friendly. It was so amazing to get to know them. On our way home, my daughter comes up to me later that day and she has such a beautifully sensitive heart when she feels like the Lord's convicting her or something. And she comes up and she says, Dad, I feel so guilty. I'm like, what? Why? She's like, I always thought they were just, just mean people. I'm like, what? She's like, yeah, when we first moved in, the boy next door told me they're the meanest people on the block. So I believed him. And so she never engaged them, never said hi, didn't really think. How many strangers on your block that live next to you do you have an opinion of that may not be justified? Because we haven't moved to make our neighbors friends. We haven't moved to make them those that we know. So they become caricatures of what we think. Guys, that's not how Christians should live. And so we want to befriend people. In fact, the beauty of this is, according to the stats of people who move from into the family of God, the number one group of people that will move somebody into the family of God is another family member. The number two is a friend. You know what the last place position goes to? A neighbor. But there's something interesting about the stat that they didn't get to. How many of those friends ceased to be neighbors at some point and became friends. See, we befriend because we don't want just to be friends. And I want us all to be family. I want these people to have the knowledge of their creator who loves them, who's given his son to bear their sins, 
that they don't have to face hell. They have heaven for eternity available. The gifts of the Holy Spirit, the adoption as children, brothers and sisters, a unity across the world. Guys, this isn't something small we share. It's a unifying, beautiful thing to be part of the family of God. And so for me, it's so simple. It's not rocket science. You start right where you are and you befriend your neighbors. Some of you may be wondering, Greg, how am I supposed to do this? You don't know my neighbors. I've talked to them. And it's not a caricature. They're mean. Okay, that's nice. Maybe some of you feel like this isn't going to happen. There's no way I'm going to try. It's just never going to work. And I say, well, time out. The scripture that just popped up on the screen is, some, is a very interesting one. It's a, Paul is speaking here. He's on a bald hill in the middle of Athens, the philosophy capital of the world. And he's getting to speak to the philosophy elite. Sounds like an awesome opportunity to me. Some of you are like, that would be horrible. But he's getting this chance. And as he's preaching, he says this. He says, God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth. Having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place so that they would seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. Stop and look at that again. Look carefully at it. When you think about your neighbors, what is he saying? He has determined the allotted periods. That means the time of day, the lifetime. They are born for this time and God wanted them here now. He determined their dwelling place. Wait a minute. Did, you mean God's intended your neighbors to live where they are when they do now? Yes. That's what Paul's saying. Your neighbors live right on your street at this time for a very big reason. What's that reason? Notice the 20, verse 27. Why? So that they should seek God. What if God set this up so you would be successful? What if God has set this up so that his message could be received? Now, obviously, this next verse is far more about that spiritual presence is always with us and he's very near us in that way. But let's put it this way. The spiritual presence is also known as the Holy Spirit. And he dwells in his believers as the temple of God. Which means this, guys, God put you on your block because you are the very token of God's love for your neighbors. You are the very ones he placed there at that time to be his extension of love to them. It is the very essence of our faith to live out Christ, to befriend our neighbors. Because we believe that God desires that they should know him and we have been put there for a purpose. Yeah, we love Christ. Yes, we live for Christ, but it must come to sharing him. And that's the beauty of what I believe he has done. So don't go afraid. Go confidently. Go lovingly. Be those who share Christ locally. Because guess what? What if one of those neighbors actually winds up being a missionary one day who goes across to another nation to reach people who would have otherwise never heard? 
What a fascinating thought. But that's the point, really. We start locally, but Jesus has called us to take this globally. It's not just supposed to be staying in one location. It moves forward. Look again at Acts 1.8. He commands us to go global. When you will receive power, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, be my witnesses, in Jerusalem, it's where they were, in Judea, that was surrounding area. Samaria was next door. Now, Samaria's got all kinds of stuff about it. It's considered kind of the, the heretics of the Jewish faith. They're also considered half-brothers. But it's a rejected group of people by the Jews. And he says, no, you're going to go to them. You're going to receive them in. You can go to the, the very different people that are next to you and you're going to bring the gospel to them. And then you're going to go to the very different people after them all the way to the ends of the earth. Southern California, as far as I can tell, is probably the ends of the earth to people in Jerusalem in the first century. But the reality is the call comes to us as well. We start locally, but we go globally. That's why we've seen our teams head off to Indonesia. That's why some of you right now are planning and prepping in the next couple of years to leave yourself to, to a location we haven't found or chosen yet. And it's exciting to think that that's what we're here to do, but that's what Jesus commanded. Remember the Great Commission. Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to deserve all that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. The call is not for us to stay and have other people do it. The call is for us to go and make what? Converts? No. Let's see, what are we called to make? Disciples. Say disciples. What are we supposed to make? Now, a disciple is not a convert. A disciple is a follower of Jesus, one who observes or obeys all that Jesus has commanded. That takes time. That takes a lot of effort to see a church start. It's been 28 years for this church already. And only in this last season have we begun to see an attempt to make churches in other places. So our mission team lands. Their goal is not to make converts. It's to, make, it's to befriend their neighbors, to see their neighbors become part of the family. And as that family begins to grow, it forms a church. As that church begins to grow, it makes another church. And it begins to, eventually when it's healthy, it goes to other nations. That's the point of planting a church. That's why you send people. And that's why it takes such sacrifice Ask the sacrifices these men have made. Kevin will speak of the day when he landed in Indonesia and only a few weeks later found out his father had died after, while he was there. Never got to go to the funeral. Never got to see anything. Talk to our mission team now of the sacrifices they make as they raise their children of a foreign nation. And what you'll discover, sacrifices are made over and over and over again because they know they need to get it there. Romans 10 puts it this way. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. In other words, how are we supposed to get the message to those if nobody goes? I mean, I wrote in my notes very clearly, the preacher must go. Now, if you think that about me, I'm sorry, I'll try to get better. But the reality is, we need to send preachers. We need to send people who proclaim the word of God. We need to send people who teach the word of God to other nations where the gospel isn't known. And that's what we're doing. So it takes sacrifice. It takes intentionality. And to go is the way that God's told us to do it. And so we either go on purpose or we stay on purpose. But we gotta do something. Some of you guys are going to choose to go on purpose. You're going to go to the other nations and do that. And when you get there, you know what you're going to do? You're going to meet your neighbors and you're going to befriend them and you're going to take those friends and you're going to move them 
to family. It's the same model. In fact, right now, that's exactly what our teams are doing. As they're hanging with tutors and as they're hanging with neighbors just to get to know them, they listen and they talk and they pass back and forth the conversation and they're watching as their friends move ever closer to receiving Christ. We either go on purpose in the United States. Maybe you leave here. I'm just asking you, if you ever leave, just don't come to me and say, well, God called us away because I'm going to ask you, oh, what did he call you to? And invariably, usually people say God calls us away because something happened that caused some dis, discord or struggle in their hearts and they just need to, and I'm, I'm just inviting you, if you got that in you, come talk to the staff so at least when you go, you can go with a clear conscience knowing that you, it's been cleared up. And so we can step back and go, wow, we really need to look at that. But we really need to, if you're going to go, go with a purpose. If you're moving into the inner city because you're going to reach people for Jesus in the inner city, amen, go. Some of you are leaving to another estate because you've got to move for work. Go with a purpose. Go to love Christ, live Christ, and share Christ, even where you go there. But if you're going to stay, stay on purpose. Stay knowing that there's a purpose that you can still go global. You can be here and go global. You can be here and you can, you can support missionaries through your giving. You can be here and support missionaries through your prayer life. You can be here and support the mission field by reaching out to those in our community that are from unreached people groups, and there are a lot. You can be here and you can be global by using your vacations as many mission trips. One of, the, one of my friends said, yeah, I am... I, um, Every time we go on a vacation, we always pray to God, God, show us who we're supposed to reach. I think that's awesome because too many of us take a vacation from our spiritual life when we go on vacation, don't we? Instead of turning them into miniature, purpose-filled vacations where Christ can be known. And so the reality is that we can stay, but we can stay on purpose. It's just harder because you can quickly forget as you live day in and day out on your street, as you're comfortable enjoying our entertainment, as we, as we go to work and come home, that we have the same purpose as those overseas. It's the same thing. It's just locally directed. And it's hard, but it's something we need to do, something we need to continue on. And so if you stay, stay with that purpose. One of those ways that you can stay with purpose is, is, what, is what Brent mentioned, is the refugees. And this is not a political statement for us. It's just simply a way to say, you know what? Christ cared about those who were strangers and he welcomed them and he gave them what we said, give me a cup of cold water. You brought me food to eat. Look, what an awesome opportunity to bring a cup of cold water and bring food to eat, heating oil, to care about those who honestly, they're, they're just locked in a horrible position. Christian or Muslim or whatever, we get to love our enemies. And an IS house is a great way to do that. It's a great way to put our, our, our own efforts behind our own hearts. And so we can, we can engage that aspect and you can be here on purpose. It's just simple ways like that that we can make a big difference. But I want to encourage you guys to stay with that final purpose we've been talking about. To love, live, and share Christ even at home. You know what our missionary's number one concern is? Our missionary's number one concern is that we stop sharing the gospel at home. They talk about it all the time. And they always talk about it um, when they come home. Who are you guys reaching? You know why? Because there are missionaries across the field who's watching their home church close their doors. 
Because somewhere back there, they got all amped up to send a missionary and forgot that they were the very ones called to share at their own homes. And churches close because people will love Christ and live for Christ, but they don't ever get around to being so excited about him that they share him. I'm glad you guys share your football teams. I'm glad you guys share your bands. I'm glad you guys share your jobs and your children. And it's also time we share Christ, amen? Let's do that with a lot of love. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have. God, I pray that we would just take a simple step this week, one simple way to just simply connect with our neighbors. Help us to engage them just by befriending them. Lord, if they're friends already, help us to build that friendship up more. If they're strangers to us, God, give us the guts to take that step forward and and shake a hand or engage a conversation. And God, let us do it now. Let us not wait for the perfect opportunity. And God, help us to encourage each other as we do that. Help us to share the stories of what you're doing on our streets with each other as we see our neighbors become our friends. And our friends, God, we hope to embrace this family. We pray that you would send out harvesters into our fields, that you would be glorified and your family would grow. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.